0: Well, good morning. My name is Marshall. I forgot to introduce myself a moment ago. I'm a senior pastor, and I don't always sound like this. I actually wish I sounded like this more often, uh, but without the uh, the tiredness that has prompted it. So, uh, I was traveling this week. I got to go into New York City for a little board meeting, and uh, it was great. But I am tired. So let's pray. Uh, God, I pray that you would be with us uh, now as we as we look to your word. Um, I pray that as we talk about what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching that you would be with us, and I pray even through the weakness of uh, me that your strength is made perfect and complete for Christ's sake. We pray these things, Amen. My family—we're doing something we've never done before. We are planting with the help of a couple of you. We are planting a flower and vegetable garden. We're hoping at least, and uh, it's going to be very modest. I'm very excited about the prospect. Uh, But i got to be honest, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about this because growth is a mystery and it is beyond my control. Uh, You cannot make plants grow healthy. You cannot make them grow faster. You wish you could put your fingers in the, you know, and and pull them up. But you cannot. If you're a gardener, your calling is to prep the soil, to plant, to water, make sure there's light and fertilizer. But then the fruitfulness is beyond our control. You don't know when a drought Or a famine or a disease or a raccoon will get into your garden today we are starting a new sermon series entitled the living church i took that title from a book that i commend to you that i made available on the bookshelf the book table out there the living church by john stone uh, john John stott i ask all of our leaders uh, to read this book i commend it to you but i've been thinking about this sermon series for the better part of a year and I, I was kind of waiting when do I want to preach this sermon series uh and I was, I was thinking when is the time when kind of the pandemic is kind of shifting either pandemic to endemic or whatever is happening but things are changing having traveled this week a lot of people are you know in airports and on airplanes without math things are different who knows where we're going dance-a-thon blah 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 you get it um But things do seem to be changing, and I wanted to preach this sermon series because as we kind of go into the summer, and especially as we come into the fall, things will slow down tremendously in the summer, but as we kind of launch again, as it were, in the fall, as we reemerge, I want us to be asking the question, who is God calling us to be as a church? Who is God calling us to be as a church? And to do that, I want to use the framing of the early church to do so, okay? Last week, uh, Pastor Nick preached on The Great Commission, which was after the resurrection, a short time after the Great Commission, Jesus ascended into heaven. That was 40 days after his resurrection. And then 10 days after the ascension is Pentecost, when the church was born. Remember, if you remember Acts chapter 2, or if you don't, there was tongues of fire. There was a mighty rushing wind. The disciples spoke, at least communicated in languages they had never studied. It's an amazing day. Acts chapter 2, thousands of people became Christians. Now, Pentecost has never been repeated in the history of the church. And so what happens after Pentecost? Well, after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the disciples, the followers, the early Christians, settled into a life of following Jesus in the church. And that's where we pick up the action, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Because Acts 2, 42 specifically, but also all the verses that follow, describes what those early Christians did specifically what they devoted themselves to. What they devoted themselves to. And they devoted themselves, it says in 242, to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And those, I want to say, are the essential elements of Christian discipleship. And the verses that follow, actually, I think, are the fruit. And we'll talk about those verses as well. But those are the fruit of committing yourselves to those first four things, devoting themselves. And it's my contention... That Acts 2.42, all of 42 to 47, but especially Acts 2.42, is not just descriptive of the early church. It's not just descriptive. It is also prescriptive for us in our church and through churches throughout time. Okay, it's prescriptive, these verses. I'm calling this series The Living Church again. And the series is going to look like this. Today is The Living Church Learns. Next week is the living church loves. I'm actually, I think, going to call it the living church befriends. We'll also look at the living church that gives, the living church that sins, the living church that grows, the living church that worships, and the living church that prays. And we are committing ourselves to these things. They are the outputs. Okay, we're not sure where God will lead. We're not sure what the outputs will be. But these are the inputs. To use a metaphor, the, the, the garden metaphor, uh, we're reminding ourselves to do what we can to be devoted to learning, loving, and giving. But to use a metaphor that Paul uses, we're planting, we're watering, but it is God that gives the growth. Uh, we don't know where disease or frost might come. You know, something like a, I mean, a pandemic, uh, a recession, uh, I mean, a war. I mean, we don't know, right? We don't know where the Lord is leading. Our calling is to trust and to follow, to do what God prescribes, Okay. So today, the living church learns, the very first part of Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, okay? I got three points this morning. What is the apostles' teaching? Why be devoted to the apostles' teaching? And how do you devote yourself and how do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? What is the apostles' teaching? Why be devoted to it? And how do you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching? But first what is the apostles teaching well you to answer that you have to answer who are the apostles now the apostles are people who saw the risen christ in his flesh who saw the risen christ and were commissioned by him it includes the 12 now 11 disciples it includes a couple of others james and the apostle paul And the apostles, their teaching authority was uniquely authoritative because they had seen the resurrected Christ with their eyes and they had been commissioned by him. They'd been commissioned by Jesus as apostles. So for first century Christians, especially here in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, to be devoted to the apostles teaching was to actually listen to the preaching and the teaching of the apostles i mean can you imagine in like a huddled dark room you know with you know clay all around you like just these you know these old room uh, rooms two thousand years ago in jerusalem 33 a.d or whatever and you're just listening to these people these apostles teach the word of god i mean it's just it would have been so invigorating and what they taught they were reinterpreting all of reality in all of the jewish scriptures in light of jesus Okay, so several more things. There are no apostles in the church today. There are elders, there are pastors, there are teachers and evangelists, but there are no more apostles. They died off in the first generation. Paul himself actually calls himself the last of the apostles. But the apostles are essential to the church even today. Consider, if you would, Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, Ephesians 2, the apostle Paul writing, "...you, speaking of us, are fellow citizens with the saints..." You are members of the household of God. And then verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay? Now, so for us, the apostles' teaching, what is the apostles' teaching for you and me? It is what the apostles wrote, which is to say it is the New Testament. Have you ever wondered, as I did, have you ever wondered uh, how the New Testament is comprised of 27 books 27 books have you ever wondered how we got those 27 books would it take what it took to make the cut to be in what they call the canon of the New Testament I'll tell you that question was probably the most animating question the biggest doubt I had as a young man if I'm gonna become a pastor how do I know that what we have is the Word of God how did we get the Bible if you want to talk about this more you can come in my office I have a whole shelf devoted to that question but let me just give you in one sentence how, what, how, what was the determination for who, what books made it into the New Testament? Here's what the determination was. They had to be written by an apostle, the New Testament books, or an apostle had to be the major source for that book. Either written by an apostle or, the, or an apostle was the major source of the New Testament. For us, devotion to the apostles' teaching means a devotion to the New Testament. Okay. Now, something that is essential to see about the apostles' teaching, you heard it in Ephesians 2, is that the apostles' teaching, their foundation, the cornerstone is Jesus. Okay, devotion to the apostles' teaching means reading the Bible, and all of life for that matter, in the light of Jesus. Look with me at Luke 24. It's printed for you in your bulletin. Okay, Luke 24, immediately after Jesus... um, After he was crucified, he was raised on the third day. And some disciples had started to hear the story. But not all the disciples had yet seen Jesus. Okay, so here in Luke 24, two disciples who had not yet seen the resurrected Christ, it had been told them they're walking along a road to Emmaus. And they're talking among themselves about the events surrounding Jesus' death. And then they're joined by a third person who turns out to be Jesus. He'll reveal himself in just a moment. Uh, but, and these two guys, they're complaining, two people, we don't know they're men, but they're complaining to Jesus about all the awful things that happened, okay? And then Jesus, the third person who has joined them, they don't yet know it's Jesus, he pipes up, verse 25, let me read it again, and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then key verse, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning themself, himself. excuse me. Now Moses and the prophets, that little phrase there in verse 27, that is a reference to all of the Jewish scriptures, which is to say the Christian Old Testament. Jesus is saying here, I am the key to understanding the Bible. And to read the Bible aright, you must see that all things point to all things find their consummation in Jesus. He is the echo of every text. He is the fingerprint on every line, every paragraph, every page of the Bible. Now, I wish I could make this clear. I really struggle, but this is actually a little bit of a mystery, and it's something that we continue to strain towards. But let me give you a couple of illustrations of what this means. One of my theological heroes is Augustine, and he says it this way, that the Old Testament, the Jewish scripture, is like a fully furnished room all the furniture is there but the room is dimly lit but then in the coming of Jesus the lights come on and you can see where the furniture is now you can see it the coming of Jesus turns the lights on and now you can start to understand as it were the Old Testament the Jewish scriptures now that's true but there's more to it than that because it's not just understanding the word of God It's a hunger for it. It's a desire to live by it. The Apostle Paul, uh, at the time that he met and was commissioned by Jesus and it was converted, when Paul met Jesus at that moment, he was the most learned person in the Jewish scriptures. He knew the Jewish scriptures better than anyone. It would be like having a double PhD from Harvard or some equivalent like that. He was the preeminent scholar of the Old Testament at that time. Okay? And after he has his encounter with Jesus, right, what does he do? He goes away for three years into Arabia, it says. And what is he spending that time doing? He is reinterpreting everything that he already knows in light of the event and the person of Jesus. You see, reading the Old Testament with the lens of Jesus, it's like going from from 2D to 3D. It's like if you were Isaac Newton in his time discoverer of gravity, the most brilliant man of his age, being handed, if, if, if Isaac Newton, if Albert Einstein could have walked back through the corridors of time and shaken hands with Isaac Newton and said, you got a good theory, let me tell you about the theory of relativity. Okay, there's something that is just so profound. Everything was more true. Everything was more real. The Apostle Paul never got over that. There's a straining to be devoted to the Apostle's teaching is to strain, to hunger for something. That is just beyond our grasp, but we keep longing for it. The way Paul says it in Philippians 2, I forget what lies behind, and I strain to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So summarizing, the devotion to the apostles' teaching, what is it? It is devotion to the word of God as it points to, finds its fulfillment illuminates Jesus and is a straining towards him, a longing and a hungering, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Okay, so that's what the apostles' teaching is. But why should we bother, secondly, to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Why devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Four reasons. The first is really quick. The Bible says so. (laughs) The Bible commands it. Point two, move on, right? Um, First, the Bible says it, but second... The reality is, human beings, we are learners. You are being taught, okay? You are being taught. You are being formed. Big word, you are being catechized. And the question is, what is forming you? What is teaching you? And it's best to make Jesus and His Word what are teaching you. You see, the world out there has a view and an order, narratives that is imposing on us. There are certain narratives. There are certain narratives that are being reinforced over and over day by day, even minute by minute. It's in the songs we hear and listen and sing to. It's in the movies we watch, it's in the advertisements, it's in the politics, it's in the news we watch, and yes, it is in social media. And those narratives that we're hearing over and over again all throughout the day, they're narratives about who we are, what our identity is, what it means to be free, how to be happy, how to be moral in a way never been seen before. Those narratives are enormously powerful, specifically because they are so very immersive. Immer- we're immersed in them. Let me give you a couple statistics. I read this, so it has to be true, right? Uh, the average American teenager spends five hours a day on social media. Think about the narratives. Five hours a day. Here's another one. Since 2009... Among teenagers, there's been persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness, mental health crisis. And it, between 2009 and today, that number has risen from 26% to 44%. That is a 70% Increase in less than 15 years. Jonathan Hyatt, not a Christian, social psychologist at NYU, writing in the Atlantic this month in a, a provocatively tied article. I, I commend it to you. The, the, the article is entitled How Social Media Dissolved the Mortar of Society and Made America Stupid. Uh, he writes this There's a, ra- a surge in rates of anxiety, depression, self harm among American teens that began suddenly in the early 2000s. The cause is not known but timing points to social media as a substantial contributor. He's not saying they can't prove the causation. There's certainly a correlation, though. Now, I'm concerned about this as a father, as a pastor. Depression, anxiety, loss of empathy, stupidity, right? But what we're talking about here is what we are devoted to. And with all of these things coming at us, we must be devoted to the apostles teaching because friends you're going to be devoted to something it is in your hardwiring to be a learner it is in your hardwiring to be taught you're going to learn something now before i move on i realize a little bit what i sound like grumpy old man right (laughs) kids these days social media And let me just say this. The narratives are different from my generation, Generation X, and the Boomers, and those above. The narratives are different, but they are no less dangerous. And let me say this. Consumerism, nationalism, and materialism are no less dangerous narratives, and they might be more dangerous because they can easily masquerade as a moral Christianity. Okay? So nobody's off the hook here. So the first reason to be devoted to the Apostles' teaching... Is because you are being taught something. That's the, second, the first reason is the Bible says so. Uh, third reason, though, uh, why be devoted to the apostles' teaching. The goal of being devoted to the apostles' teaching is to know and experience God. To experience the very presence of God. Look with me at verse 43. It's in the text here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and what happens? Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many, and there were many signs and wonders were done. What is awe? That is a deep experience of the presence of God. They felt something, dare a Presbyterian say it. They felt it. They were moved. It was emotional. And it was about experiencing the presence of God. Why should you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching? Because it is a way to experience, dare I say it again, feel God. That is one reason. The third reason why, and I'll talk more about that when we talk about worship and prayer in later sermons in this series. We devote ourselves because we know and experience God in his presence. But the fourth reason to be devoted to the apostles' teaching is to experience life change, to be changed, okay? To use the garden metaphor, uh, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching so that we might bear fruit. But let me use the text that's in front of us from Acts chapter 2. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That is generosity. That is life change. That is life change. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they started to give generously to those who were in need. Now, our tradition, the Reformed Evangelical tradition, Presbyterian, has often implied, if never stated, that the goal of Bible reading is to cram our brains filled with knowledge, to be, as it were, brains on a stick. But that is wrong. The purpose of Bible reading is to feed you so that you are strengthened to be changed to go out into the world on God's mission. So if you came to me and said, and you asked me, Marshall, as a Christian, how was your day today? How did you do? And I answer, well I read my Bible And I went to a Bible study. I was devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is like answering the question, what did you do yesterday? Well, I ate breakfast, ate lunch, and then I ate dinner. Of course you did that. Of course you studied your Bible. We, we, We study God's word. We devote ourselves so that we can do. We learn God's word. We devote ourselves to it so that we can be nourished and transformed and go out into the world... On God's mission learning is the input the output is a changed life a life of love and service another way of saying this and to put it more positively this type of devotion to the apostles teaching propels us into the world in service and in love right so my question for you even as you leave this sanctuary this morning or as you read your bible whenever you read your bible I hope you read your bible what is this causing me to do who is this asking me to love to serve ask that question because the Bible we devote ourselves to the Bible so that we might be changed okay so we've seen what the apostles teaching it is we've seen why we've seen why we should be devoted to it the Bible says so you're being taught something it's a way to know God experience God but also to be changed well how do you do it how do you how do we as a church community devote ourselves to the apostles teaching Well, I say this a lot at the Lord's Supper, but we taste and we see. We taste and we see. And I want to look at first at the see, uh, as in seeing, okay? The first thing we do to devote ourselves how is to know the stories of the Bible. The first thing you can do to devote yourself to the Apostles' teaching is to be here, to be present on the Lord's Day in a worship service. Because at this time, something happens that you cannot get on a podcast, you cannot get on a retreat, and you cannot get in a book. You cannot get it on the Internet, okay? You can get it on the the live stream, I suppose. But there is something about a worship service that you need to be a part of when God's people are gathered together for the explicit purpose of worshiping him and his word is preached. Something happens here, namely taking the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about that in a moment. The first thing you can do to devote yourself is to be here. But also to study God's word in private with your family, family devotions. In the fall, our Bible studies are going. Our grace groups will be relaunching in the fall to study God's word with friends, to be together around God's word. And I want to challenge you to personally read God's word. Wherever you are in your faith journey, if you have any inkling, if you're not a Christian but you're you're somewhat interested, you want to know more, take the time to read either the Gospel of John, as these children did. I always commend Gospel of John as the first Bible book to read, or the Gospel of Mark, which is a little bit shorter. Both of them you can read in an hour. Just read God's Word if you're investigating Christianity at all. Or maybe you're a new Christian, you can read those things. Or if you've never read the entire New Testament, find a reading plan that gets you through the New Testament. Or if you've never read God's Word, the whole Bible, find a reading plan. Maybe even if it takes you two or three years, read God's Word. I challenge you, read God's Word. Devote yourself to it. But really, devotion to the apostles' teaching is in all of life. And that brings us to the text that I had Melissa, read for us. It's printed for you. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. And these are, Let me read these words again. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall have them as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Basically, wherever you go, be talking about, be thinking about, be devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, several years ago, about the time that my son was born, I went on a, a little one-day trip with my mom uh, to visit some relatives. And I had two goals on that trip, to visit these relatives, but also to ask my mom this question. Mom, what did you, what's the best advice you can give me as a new parent, as a young parent, about raising my son? And she pointed to these verses, and she said, Marshall, the best I could, just as we went through life, I just tried to talk about faith and relate it to what we were facing, whether it was something we were watching, something we were passing, something we were experiencing. That's just what I tried to do, to take Deuteronomy 6 and apply it to your life. Well, my mom was practicing a term that I, uh, I got from Alan Jacobs um, co- uh, called counter-catechesis. My mom has no idea. Mom, I love you, uh, honoring you, but you don't know what that means. Um, but I'm gonna talk about. it. Nobody else does either. Okay, counter catechesis. I shouldn't have said that. We'll have to cut that. Um, she Yeah, next week's Mother's Day. Um, she really did do this for me. Catechesis is a big word. It just means instruction or teaching, and counter catechesis is naming the narratives of the world and then pointing to biblical truth and showing what lines up and what does not. The world out there, as we've already discussed, teaches certain narratives over and over, reinforced by the moment, right? It's the air we breathe. Narratives about what it means to be free. Narrative about what it means to be happy, what it means to be moral, right? Narrative about means my identity. All those narratives are out there. And counter-catechesis is identifying those narratives the cultural narratives showing what is good and true about all those things and also what is implausible and false and harmful counter-catechesis is identifying and then showing what is true from the scriptures and devoting ourselves to the apostles teaching looks like that it looks like counter-catechesis knowing the word of god and applying as we walk along the way as we sit down as we lie as we stand up everywhere we go so devoting yourself to the apostles teaching first looks like knowing the bible But secondly, that's the the C part. But the more important part is the tasting part. The more important is the sweetness. How do you make the word of God sweet? When it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, there's a suggestion of sweetness, of love, of longing, of hunger. And how do you do that? You meditate on God's word. You don't just know God's word. You meditate on it. Now when we hear the word meditate so often we think of eastern meditation which is what it is emptying your mind which I would argue is not possible but nonetheless biblical meditation biblical meditation is not emptying your mind it is filling your mind with God's word okay I've used an illustration in talking about this before it's like a dog gnawing on a bone it just won't let go of it it just keeps on gnawing right I got a, I've come up with an illustration I like better meditation biblical meditation is like Sucking on a Tootsie Pop. Everybody remember Tootsie Pops? Right? Hard on the outside, with uh, the chewy chocolate center. You know, you know how many, the advertising, how many licks does it take to get to the chocolate, right, before you crunch on it? Uh, that's what meditation is like. It is taking a biblical truth, oftentimes a small, a word, a phrase, a verse, taking a biblical truth and turning it over and over and over in your mind until it warms your heart. Which is to say, until it becomes sweet and soft let me illustrate this personally by telling you i'm thinking of getting a tattoo y'all don't know me well enough you wouldn't that no way i'm not getting a tattoo <laughs> but i have thought about it i have thought about it i know what i would get if i got one it would be the letters e v x which is a little bit geeky here it's the greek letters for in christ it's the Greek letters for in Christ. I'd like to put it like I'd like to put it right here, like so. Every time I write, you know, like you know, like Marshall's thinking about this, right? Why? I'm serious. Let's stay with me. Because that is a truth that I want deep in my bones. I want to turn that over and over and over again. I want to meditate on it until that truth permeates me. Because as that truth that I'm in Christ permeates me, I will be able to love fiercely. Face criticism, maintain hope, be courageous, right? Because if you don't meditate on God's word, it needs to be something different most every day, right? But that's the, that's the kind of the big one for me. Because if you don't meditate on God's word, you're like the inflatable tube man in front of an auto dealership, right? You know, like you're up for a second, but then you're like, you know, like, you're just like, you know, like, yeah, and then you're like, and you're all over the place, right? Meditating on God's word until it becomes sweet and you find stability. And if you can't think of something to meditate, get a tattoo in Christ. You can put it in English. You see, friends, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching as individuals, as families, and as a church. And as it becomes sweet, we see what the Lord might do. Who knows what he might do with us? So in this series, I'm looking forward to The Living Church Learns, Befriends, and all those other things. And may God give the growth as we seek to be faithful in committing ourselves, devoting ourselves to all these things, and especially this morning, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. To God alone may there be the glory. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the description of the early church who was so profoundly changed in experience of you by their devotion to your teaching. Lord, we commit ourselves to devoting ourselves to your word that we too might experience you and be changed. For Christ's sake we pray, amen.